Hi, I'm Yuval Brisker, and this is a jolt of Uvelocity. Edition 2022. Hi there, everyone. This is Yuval Brisker, and with me is Jay Sailing, my trusty producer. Hi there. Hi, Yuval. <laughs> happy, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thank you so much. Always good to have a podcast episode recorded on Friday at 5.54. Well, 2.54 for me. But we're talking about a really cool topic today. So we're talking about company culture, which is something that I know is very close to you. To my heart. For good reason. It is. So let's just start it off by talking about how you define company culture. I think you see a lot of scenarios where companies define their culture maybe by like the events they put on inside and outside the office, the amenities they offer their employees, like maybe the social ideals they project. All those things are great, but it's not really company culture. So in your words, how do you look at company culture? Well, I think the most important thing is, of course, how people feel in the company. And to me, that defines company culture, meaning, of course, company culture comes from upper management for the founders, most particularly. And there's definitely a vision for company culture that's created by people who, by the people who started the company. But in my case, you know, in our case, I think the definition is to create a great place for people to realize themselves and to have a collaborative, pleasant, and I think educational and results-driven work environment. All those things are intertwined. One can't live without the other. There's a sort of interconnectivity there. But for me, it's really all about ultimately creating a great place to work that people feel committed to in a way that takes away just the concept of work. As you know, I'm not a big fan of the work-life balance statement not that I'm not a big fan of having a life, personal life, professional life, romantic life, intellectual life, whatever, cultural, emotional life. Those are all important, but they're all part of life. So I'm not a big work-life balance kind of person. I just see it all as one big thing, as you know. You've probably heard this one a few times from me. Yes, most definitely. And so the question for me is, how does that all that interconnectivity of life components, like things that make up your life, how do those things intertwine in such a way that you feel good and that you feel fulfilled and that you feel motivated and you feel connected and so on and so forth? Those are all components of company culture. But ultimately, it all comes down to what it makes you feel, how people feel about the job. Because there's job is okay to say, by the way, because there's a job. You got to get a job done. It's not work. There's a difference. But how do they feel about the jobs or the projects or the, the efforts that they're part of? And do they feel they're being productive? And do they feel they're contributing? And do I feel, you know, good about what I'm doing? That to me is like the key question, right? You just hit on something really interesting, which is, I think, empowering people to have a voice and feel confident to speak up. So... We spoke recently about a trip that you had in LA where you went to code. And you had a really interesting story about there was a segment there that was dedicated to Steve Jobs. And I think you said his wife spoke on how adamant he was 
on not creating a culture of yes men and women. I thought that that was super interesting. If maybe you want to give the listeners a little insight into that. Yeah, this was, uh, you know, the uh, last code conference that Kara Swisher was hosting. And so that was interesting and special. And part of that was, you know, that she closed this conference with kind of closing out a circle in that the first interviewee was Steve Jobs in 20 years ago for her in the code conference. And then the last, of course, Steve Jobs is gone. So all his close collaborators, meaning his wife, Tim Cook and Johnny Ivey, were all there reflecting, reminiscing about the man. And it was, you know, I think it was a pretty unique event. I mean, I would say probably not most likely not going to ever recreate itself in that sense. So having them on stage and in person, like with 200 people in the room, I mean, maybe, was pretty special. And then, you know, the, the conversation was really interesting to me that there was a lot of things that I could relate to. And one of the things that they talked about was that he was not a yes guy. He didn't really want people to agree with him necessarily, even though people thought that that's what he wanted. I mean, because it was always this kind of dichotomy of like his personality being both demanding and mentoring and terrorizing and supportive and inspiring and really tough and so on and so forth. So all that mythic components there. So it was interesting to hear from the three people who are actually creating the myth. (laughs) Probably (laughs) she more than everyone else, that's her job, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of the job, right? To carry on the legacy. And so the thing that she was reflecting on was the fact that he was kind of an agitator, you know? And in fact, not only did he not like people to say yes to him, he if there were too many people saying yes, he would deliberately take the opposite position <laughs> and become like, you know, an instigator, like, okay, well, if the, all these people are agreeing with what I said at the beginning, now I'm not going to agree with them at the end and see what happens, you know. And so I believe that you're right. I think you're what you're alluding to is right. I'm also into a culture of challenging yourself and challenging each other and not settling for anything but the best. And I call myself a Steve Jobsian in that respect. I don't believe in the sort of behavioral components of the myth. And I'm not even sure that they're actually really that accurate, that, you know, he was out of control and so on and so forth, and he abused people. The documentaries that have been created about him definitely project a bit of a, an intense guy with maybe some moral questions. Yeah, go figure. You know, to me, the minute you have people of that level of stature, that level of fame, they're always going to say things about you. It's just the way it is. The minute you're in a position of power, even about me, you know, I know, you know, what, you think I'm naive and not to think that people don't talk? (laughs) Of course people talk. That's just the nature of the beast. But I think that ultimately he had a very demanding culture, and that was good because everyone's out to win. And if you don't have a demanding culture, then you're not doing anybody a favor, by the way. On one hand, wanting to have a place where people can feel good. You and I have talked about it before that part of the reason I wanted to become an entrepreneur was to create a place where I'd want to work. Because all the places I worked where I wasn't the person who founded the company. I didn't like the way it was, what it was like to work there. So I figured, well... All the things that bother me, I'm going to change, and hopefully I'm going to create a place of work that people will like to work in. And so far, I think I've been pretty successful. I mean, 
I know that in my first company, Toa, people still pine for it. I mean, it's like people will call me up or write me reflecting on the good old days. And, you know, that's the thing I'm most proud of in a way. But, and I think here also in Alvier, I think people generally, I think hopefully you could tell me better than that. I, I can't tell, you can tell. I think people more or less like the job, like working here. And I think that that's important because that takes you to the next step, which is being tenacious and never giving up and being competitive and demanding. You have to be demanding. There's no breaks. Nobody's giving it to you on a silver platter. You're always fighting. And there's 100 people wanting to eat your lunch and dinner and breakfast and kick you out of your house. Yeah. You know, take over your house in a sense. So my question is, how do you make sure that you're the one on the side of the winners? And let's face it, you've got to work hard for that and you've got to work smart for that. And you, it's not, not just enough to be working smart, by the way. I used to say... Working smart is enough. No, I think the working smart and working hard is, you know. And hard means to me, and I shouldn't give it away, it's an interview question for me. Like, how do you define working hard? And to me, that's always, you're only working hard the minute you think, you know, I'm working hard. <laughs> Up until that point, you're not working hard. <laughs> you know, if you're thinking... Uh, yeah, I'm being pushed to the max. Yeah, I'm kind of like maxing out here, you know. Then, you know, you're working hard. Or, damn, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> then you're working hard. Yeah, you find yourself on Google, like, typing in some very basic questions. Like, I'm outside my element right now. Right, but working hard is those things, you know, is like pushing yeah. your boundaries to the limit. And, of course. and at the same time, of you course. have to add. So that's another component of culture for me. It's like a component of, like, Never settling, never thinking that you've checked the box, that you're done. You're never done. You're done when you're done. And that's pretty much the place where nobody wants to get to around, like, right about now. That's how I look at it. And I was like, I want to create a place where I want to work, but also that place is a place of competition and, and demand and quality and, and ambition and motivation and tenacity, all those things. So to me, all those are part of culture and the culture that I hope I'm creating. Intelligence, smarts, planning, strategy, thinking ahead. Pushing the boundaries. Pushing the boundaries for sure, 100%. Yeah. So these are all parts of the culture that I want to create. But to me, culture is that place, is that overarching umbrella of like things that make up the essence of that sort of ethereal, non-material thing that creates the environment for people to be successful and realize themselves. Yeah, so that segues into a good next talking point that I wanted to cover here, which is really around like the evolution of a culture. As your company grows, as you bring more people on board, they bring themselves to the company and that impacts it, hopefully, you know, 90% of the time in a good way. But it's naturally going to force culture, in quotations, to evolve. And... I want to get your take on that and then maybe as well, like what are some signals that you're looking for that maybe something needs to be reset or maybe that you need to like reinstate the foundational components of why we're all here? The evolution of culture is really just about, in my mind, the bringing of new people into the community, into the organization. And that's culture is, to me, it's something that's living and breathing that's made up by the people who are part of the community. 
I can be very prescriptive and thoughtful and visionary, whatever you want to call it, and demanding, <laughs> but but at the end of the day, somebody has to carry it on and to carry it through. And so the evolution of culture is, I think, the part of the adoption, the absorption, the assimilation of whatever it is that has been the foundation, like the foundation that, in our case, the founders set. But then it lives and breathes and, and evolves in the minds and hearts and bodies of the people who actually operate in the workplace. And so it depends on every single person who is here to either align with it or accept it or buy into it or whatever you want to call it or feel connected to it, whatever it is. But it's those that all of the people who are part of the Alvier venture are an integral part of creating the culture and building the culture together. So that at some point, there's only so much you can do as a leader. You can basically, I think leaders are the most important component here. I mean, without leadership, you would be just kind of like a unmoored boat without a direction. So you have to have leadership, that's for sure. But what happens after that is really part of the leadership process, but it's not divorced from the actual people who carry the message and who assimilate it into their behavior, into their thinking, into the way they perform. So that to me is evolution. The evolution to me is just that. It's like Part of the job for me when I am hiring, or for anyone here who's recruiting and hiring, is to ensure that, that the people that we bring on are fit. That every single person is different in that respect. And the people that we do bring here are fit. To me, that's key. That's the most important thing, in a sense, about, about the culture, evolution of culture, is that you got to hire the right people that fit. By the way, I'm not a value judgment kind of guy, meaning if you don't work for me, it doesn't mean that you're not a good person. <laughs> that, you know, I mean, it's like, if you're not working here, doesn't mean I, or you end up going through a process and not getting a job, doesn't mean you're not a great person. It means you might have not fit for that particular moment in that particular job. Or you might have not fit in general from a cultural point of view. doesn't mean that your culture is not as good as ours. But I think it is an important part of the creation of culture, which is recruiting people who have a fit, who have a similar drive, who they don't have to have the same personality, but they could should have a, a similar drive, a similar ambition, a similar commitment to execution, to results, to creativity, et cetera, et cetera. So to camaraderie, to collaboration to openness, to dialogue, to conversation, so on and so forth. You see that in the company very clearly, I think, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, most definitely. So a topic that we have to hit on if we're talking about company culture is the idea of remote work and being, you know, a virtual global company and how there's some challenges around getting someone to feel the pulse of a company when they're remote, maybe in a far corner of the world not near headquarters, for example. It's great that being remote has opened up a talent pool to essentially, you know, the globe for professionals, right? But in terms of really getting a pulse on the company you work for and, and feeling the energy, it can be tough. So let's talk about remote work and its impact on company culture. 
I used to say that it doesn't really matter where you are and how much you work as long as you get your work done. First thing, I don't agree with that statement anymore because that assumes that there's a set amount of work to do and that it has to be done. And I don't think that in a, in a venture like this, a creative undertaking with ambition, the work is ever done. So I just don't think that those notions of like the precepts that work smart, don't have to work hard, or it doesn't matter where you are, but and it doesn't matter how much you work, you know, as long as you get the work done, all that stuff to me just smells of like actual, <laughs> you know, very limited type of environment to operate, actually, funny enough. To me, the essence of creativity is I'm not a philosopher here. I'm not trying to define, you know, creativity. I'm saying, to me, the sum of the essence of creativity is collaboration. And so when collaboration can happen remotely, fine. But I don't believe that it's an indefinite situation. I think that the best collaboration happens in person. Even if you're doing individual work, you have to execute on Having somebody next to you on the right and on the left or, or across or next door or wherever that you can just walk over to them and sense the energy of work and creativity and collaboration, you know, and have that feeling of coziness in a way, if I, that's the kind of workplace I want to have, but that you feel camaraderie and then the value of being able to walk to somebody next to you and or to turn to somebody next to you and have a short conversation, kind of unprepared, unscheduled, unscripted conversation. I mean, isn't that what the essence of life is about? At the end of the day, I mean, we're not like no man's an island, and I don't think we're living with any sense that, you know, we can operate independently forever. We're, we're tightly wound into a network. All the people that we know, all the things that we do, all the tools that we use, all the interactions, I mean, they're all like, it's a weave. And so I've gone from like thinking, you know, it's okay to work in remotely. It's a kind of works. Of course, that was mid pandemic. And I mean, I was always a proponent of people being free to work wherever they want to some degree, meaning where there are headquarters, definitely people should come to work, come to the physical location. If there's no physical location near you, then that's a choice the company has made to hire you. Like, for example, you. Knowing that you're over there and God knows where, close to the border of Mexico. <laughs> and just because you like to surf, you're, you don't want to move to Denver. <laughs> wow, just putting me on blast live. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, know, you, know, you know where I'm coming from. It's all from a good place. Yep. All I'm saying is that we took that decision ourselves yes. to say, Jay's out there and... That's the condition under which he's hired. If the condition changes for any reason, like he wants to live closer to his alma mater, then he might move to Denver. It's not going to be a precondition for his employment or some expectation that we have. But people who are close to a physical center, I think they should be working in the office because that's the place that they're going to most... First thing, I believe in dedicated space. I do. Even if you're working at home and you're not like, you know, this is in pandemic conditions where you have five people working from home and you're back to kind of a situation where you can have a place to work, you need to dedicate space for work. 
when your day is over and you're done your creative thinking or collaboration or or any kind of execution of your tasks or whatever it is that you're doing, then you can close the door and it's over there in a dedicated space. And when you want to go back into that space, you go and that's why I sit up here, by the way, because it's a dedicated space. I don't do anything else but do this here. I mean, I have a kind of a home gym. But if you take that dedicated space concept further to a place where there is a physical location that the company lives in, exists in, then I think people should be there because that's the best way to ensure, in my mind, collaboration. And I also think that there should be some level of openness towards people spending one or two days at home during the week. Because I think that's also could be a very good enhancement to their execution and creativity and, and really applying what it is that, that they gathered in their visit to the office, in their work time in the office. I do see that there's value to the hybrid scenario with a heavy weight on the in-person physical location. As someone who is remote most of the time, I do value being in person a lot more. And I don't take that time for granted as much as maybe I used to when I worked at a place where I went to the office every day. You're not thinking about overhearing conversations about like product, right? Or about like some cool insights that you would never get if you weren't in the office. So that time in the office does become a lot more valuable. Being alive is being with people. I mean, rare is the person who's completely solitary or wants solitude, total solitude. And that's not to say that you don't want it every once in a while, but we're social beings. And family and sort of the professional life and the family life, that's two different animals. And you don't want to mix too much. We're a lot less defined borders today than we ever were. And of course, technology, a big piece of that. But nonetheless, it's good to have dedicated space. And in that dedicated space, other people can come in and be part of that space physically. And that has an energy of sorts. And it's one of productivity and creativity and execution. And I think that's a positive. And at the end of the day, my famous guru, teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, always said, there is no left without right. There's no day without night, as there is no work without leisure time, leisure time without work. I mean, if all the time you spend, if you spend your whole time in leisure time, then leisure becomes your work, you know? You know, it's like, if you want to have leisure, you need to have work to balance it, to contrast it, to contrast and balance it. And so it's the same thing with family time versus productive, creative work time. The separation is not always there because it's all in you, but sometimes in the physical, spatial component, I think it's not a bad thing, especially when at the workplace there are other people with the same sort of mission, intent, focus as you. Yeah, totally agree. So we're almost out of time here, actually. Time flies when you're talking about something cool. Yeah. But I do like to end every episode posing you the question. So you're sitting across the table from a new CEO, and he or she asks you the three most important values that you keep in mind as you're creating culture. Three most important? The three. We need three. I always say that first one, which I always repeat, which is create the place that you want to work in. 
the best place you want to work. And, you know, unless you're like a deranged dictator, I mean, there are those people out there as well. And, you know, then you're going to create a place where there's some level of pleasantness and good cheer and good relationships, as well as creativity and commitment and tenacity and a focus on delivering results. So that's one. That's it right there. I mean, in a way, it's because it has already so many components. I do think it's good to create a good environment, a physical environment, which people can feel comfortable in and want to spend time in. Because I think reflecting on this notion of virtual versus in-person and or the hybrid model, that also depends on the kind of environment that you create. And then last and not and most importantly, you ready? Let's hear it. Lead by example. I had a mentor once who said to me, the nature of leadership is such, and we can have a whole episode about leadership, but the nature of leadership is that people emulate you, whether you know it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether, but whatever you do, people will emulate you, especially when there's actually a physical work environment, people come to the same place. But even not. I said, really? Wow, that, that's cool. That's interesting. And he said, well, check it out. Go and dress in a certain way. Within six weeks, everybody will be dressing just like you, whether they know it or not. So I actually did that exercise at Toa. I actually started dressing a specific way every single day. And guess what? The pack followed. People started dressing like me. I mean, it's just natural. And so the bottom line is that I felt like leadership so that's number three. Basically embody what you're saying. Practice what you preach kind of thing. Yep, yep. Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. It's essential. All right. Well, thanks, Yuval. Is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with before we get out of here? We're going to have another episode with you know within two weeks. Yes, yes. So stay tuned, folks. We're going to a two-week schedule now. We are. Right? We're telling the public... You want to hear this amazing duo talking once every two weeks. We'll be back in two weeks. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks for your time. We'll see you next time, everyone. Bye-bye. And don't forget, uvelocity.com. A jolt of uvelocity. Thanks very much for listening to A Jolt of Uvelocity, my podcast that will be published every month on the last Wednesday of every month on all the platforms and looking forward to seeing you again as we explore all the different things that Jay has in store for us. Thanks to Jay Sailing and see you soon. For more information, visit us at uvelocity.com where you can find transcripts of these podcasts and other articles and thoughts that you might find useful. uvelocity.com. That's Y-U-V-A-L-O-C-I-T-Y dot com.